You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Hey, I want to welcome all of you that are joining us for Leadership Night, whether you're joining us online at... uh our website or on YouTube or however you're joining us, we're grateful. Uh, you might be watching from our Summit Blairsville location. Thank you guys for joining us tonight as well. Or maybe, just maybe you're listening to this in podcast form later on, however you're joining us, we're grateful. So thank you guys so much for joining us for another Leadership Night. If you are new to Leadership Night, we usually take about 25 or 30 minutes just to talk through a leadership principle together. And then we will take some time just to unpack that practically. And we will do some Q&A. And sometimes uh, there's questions from the room and then there's answers from the room as well because uh, I don't have the market cornered on good advice at all. Uh, and there's some great leaders here in this room, and I'm sure there are in Blairsville as well, who can answer some of these questions. So we'll give you some chance, uh, a chance to, to talk. So let me just open our time with prayer, and then we'll jump into our principles for the night. Lord, thanks for this day. Thanks for the opportunity we have to grow in our leadership, to learn more, and hopefully to, um, to apply what we're learning so that we can lead better in whatever context we're leading in. So God, I pray your blessing on us tonight. I pray you bless our time together. I pray you make it fruitful in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So I announced over the last week or so that, um, that we would have um, a little bit of a different leadership night tonight. And I even have some, some visuals. But uh, tonight I'm, I'm doing lessons from a rust bucket. And we're going to talk about some leadership principles that I've learned in the process of working on, over the last couple of years, my 2001 Jeep Cherokee. Do we have a picture? There it is, the lovely, and it really isn't that rusty, actually, but, um, but that's, and that's the before I've done a few things to it. But uh, that is my beloved 2001 Jeep Cherokee, and I bought it... Um, well, I'll just be honest with you. I paid $5,500 for it, and uh, Sight Unseen had it shipped from Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, no, it was in Fort Wayne, and I had it shipped, and it was in worse shape than I thought it would be, but um, I just got to work working on it. And uh, the reality is that I am not a mechanic by trade, as you probably know. Uh, my dad and I, when I was a teenager and got my first car, we would turn a wrench on my my vehicle that I had as a 16-year-old and do the oil changes and brakes and all the routine maintenance, but uh, I haven't had to do that in a while. And so when it came time to get a vehicle, I said to my wife, hey, let me get this car. She's like, babe, it's always going to be broken down. I was like, do you question my mechanical ability? And she was like, yes, I do. So anyway, since then, I've just been messing with it and working on it and tinkering with it, and it's taught me a lot, and I've enjoyed it. Uh, I've had some frustrating times, but here's the thing. Even if you don't like cars, that's okay, because I think there are some practical principles that we're going to be able to apply from some of the things we're going to talk about tonight. Um, <clears throat> so I've just got a list, and these are random. Um, and so, yeah, if you like lists, that's great, because i got 10 things for you tonight. The first is this. <sighs> Lockers before light bars. Now, if you don't know what that means, that's okay. 
uh, in the world of Jeeps and off-road driving and things like that, it's easy to put light bars on vehicles and make them look cooler. But serious off-roaders will say this phrase, lockers before light bars. And what lockers do is they will lock your front, your differential so that your wheels will turn at the same rate so that it gives better traction in rough areas. And basically what they're saying is this, um, the light bar looks good, but the lockers actually help you do what you want to do. And here's what I see in our world. There are a lot of leaders who would rather look good than be good. We would rather have a good reputation or have people think that we know what we're doing rather than actually doing, knowing what we're doing. Uh, and this is one of the reasons I lean on um, people who are actually doing the work. I, I prefer people who are, uh, well, they're, they're doing the work rather than theorists. Um, and so whenever I try to get advice from leaders, I'm not calling people who are, uh, you know, running a, a, a consulting firm. Those guys are great. I know several of them, but I want to call a pastor who's in the trenches and doing what I'm doing, who knows what they're doing. They don't just look good. They know what they're doing. And here's the danger for us is that it's so easy for us just to put some light bars on and make it look like we are serious when the reality is we don't know what we're doing and we don't have the the, the right gears. We don't have the right strength. We don't have the right hardware. We don't have the right whatever it is to take us where we want to go. I worked for a pastor uh, years ago, and he had a um, he had a Hummer H2. So some of you, you guys know what a H2 is. Okay, it's like it wasn't the original Hummer. It was like the smaller one. And I thought it was cool. I was like, all right, that's shiny and red. It was cherry red and. One day we had a guest speaker coming and he couldn't pick him up. He said, Mel, drive, what do you have? What kind of car do you have? And I told him and he was like, drive, drive my H2 to go pick up the guest speaker. And I was like, all right, thanks, pastor. And I get in the vehicle. And as soon as I'm getting in the vehicle, I realize I should not be impressed by this vehicle. It was like pieces were falling off. There were parts. I mean, it was, it was not that great. So I get to the airport and I'm not kidding. I, um, I, get out of the vehicle, go up on the curb, and he's walking out, the guest speaker is, as I'm walking up. I take his bag, I'm greeting him, and I put my hand on the handle, I push the button, and I pull, and the handle comes off the back, like in my hand. I was like, <laughs> and I didn't even know what to say. I was like, oh, wow, wow, can you believe it? So I got his bag and threw it in the car, but the whole vehicle was like this. And if you looked at it at 55 miles an hour going down the highway, you'd have been like, dang, look at that Hummer. But as soon as it was stopped and you could lay eyes on it, you'd be like, oh gosh, what a piece of junk. And that's the way many of us function as leaders. At high speeds, if you're not paying close attention, we look good. But if we're stopped, if we are inert and you get a close look, some of us will look at other people's leadership and be like, oh gosh, man, this thing is falling apart. And it's this principle of lockers before light bars. We don't want to just look good. We want to be good. The second thing is this. For me, I, uh, driving a 20, almost three-year-old vehicle, I always keep a tool roll with me. And here's the tool roll that I keep in my Jeep all the time. Um, this is, if you don't know what a tool roll is, it's just a rolled up 
tool bag essentially, but it's small, it's compact, but it's got all of my tools that I would need in here. The reason I do that is because, I don't know if you heard me say this, my vehicle is 23 years old. And so the problem is, I don't know what's gonna go wrong with it next. And something could go wrong at any time. So I've gotta keep my tool roll with me just in case, because I don't wanna get stranded. Now here's the thing, a lot of us are leading people or organizations, and we lead with this blissful ignorance that it will always be perfect. We're never gonna have any issues or problems or setbacks or blowouts, that we're never gonna have any problems. And then the reality is, if you're leading an organization, you're gonna have a problem. Somebody's gonna do something stupid. Uh, there's gonna be a betrayal. Uh, somebody's gonna leave the reservation. Something's gonna happen and you're gonna have to fix it. And it's better for us to be aware and be prepared that something is gonna go wrong and that we have a plan for when it goes wrong. Because if we just think everything's gonna be fine, uh, we're gonna be so disappointed when it's not. Because uh, every vehicle has a problem at some point or another and every organization has problems at some point or another. And so if we are not prepared for it beforehand, we're gonna be in trouble. And so there's practical things we can do to be ready. And one of the best things we can do is just to have regular checkups with our key leaders and make sure they're in a good place. Just like with your vehicle, you have routine maintenance, things you're doing to make sure everything is functioning the way it's supposed to function. And it's important for us as leaders just to be prepared. We keep our tool roll with us. We keep an eye on the things in our organization, the metrics to make sure it's functioning the way it's supposed to be functioning because it's gonna break down at some point. You're gonna have issues. If you don't have issues now, you will because that is the nature of organizations. That's the nature of people. We end up in ditches and we need to get out at times. So you always keep your tool roll with you. Number three, this is not very dynamic, but this is true for me at least. Scrapyards are fun. I like going to scrapyards. Um, and I don't know why, I just think it's fun. Um, there's a scrapyard in Blairsville that got me in trouble at first when I got my Jeep and it's called Dancers. And so I would tell my wife, hey, I'm going to Dancers in Blairsville. And she'd be like, what, uh, hold on, where are you going? Be like, no, 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 it's a, it's a salvage yard. It's, they got junked out Jeeps, that's all it is. And she's like, are you sure? So credit card receipt comes in, $35 at Dancers. She's like, what is this? I was like, salvage yard. Like, okay, okay, just making sure. Um, but a couple of reasons I like going to the salvage, well, I'll tell you this too. I had, um, um, let me think, I guess it was last year, two years ago, I hadn't had my Jeep very long. And, um, and I had a trip out to, um, to Lancaster County and I'm such a nerd. I mapped out every decent salvage yard between here and where I was going. And I stopped at every single one and it was cold, man. And I got out there with my tool roll and I was crawling around and oh my gosh, I had so much fun though. I enjoyed it so much. I stopped at five salvage yards that day, just looking at Jeeps and picking parts and things like that. Uh, here's the reason why I like it. I like it because it's, um, it's an easy way for me to learn. I can get under the hood of an old Jeep and I can look around and see what they've done, see where parts go, see how easily things disconnect. And it's easy to learn that way, it's hands-on. The other part of that is, uh, man, you can find some really cheap parts that way. Um, I love going in to, into places and just picking parts. So with Jeeps, especially the one I've got, um, there are a number of like parts that go missing easily. And 
Um, it's funny when you look at listings for cars like mine online, Jeep, Jeepers who know will say things like, um, the rear wipers work because a lot of times on Jeeps like mine, they do not. And so if they work, it's a big deal. Or, hey, the, the rear lift gate, it works, you know, because the hydraulics are still working, things like that. So one of the things that happens with Jeeps like mine is that the bumpers for the for the um, glove compartment go missing. They just fall out and go missing. And probably three months ago, I stopped at Dancers in Blairsville, salvage yard, and um, they had two new, new to the lot Jeep Cherokees like mine. And I went and looked, I was like, oh my gosh, this one's almost complete. And I started pulling parts off there and they had the bumpers for the glove box. And it was like this hallelujah moment where like the light was shining down. Oh, so I got home and I was like, babe, can you believe they had these bumpers for the glove box? And she was so unimpressed. It wasn't even funny. I was so disappointed, but it's fun because you can find cheap stuff. Now here's the thing. Um, Could I have bought that stuff online? Yeah, I could have bought it online. It would have cost me a lot more. It would have been brand new. I wouldn't have pulled it from a used Jeep, but I could have gotten it. it but it, part of it was the fun of finding it where I found it. And the other part was it was cheap. I got it for a discounted price. And here's, here's the thing, here's the leadership principle from this, because you're wondering, you're wondering, right? Um, recruiting staff to Indiana, Pennsylvania is hard. Uh, and if at times I have to look in creative places to find people who are interested in coming to Indiana, Pennsylvania, and, and sometimes the people that we have gotten are dinged up a little bit. They're nicked up. They, they, they're not right off the factory. Can I say it that way? And we've got the best staff in the world. Um, but in order to get people here, I've had to look in some unconventional places at times. I've had to recruit from some different kinds of places um, and it's been worth it. And I've understood that some of the best people I could find, I, I'd have to pull off the scrap heap. And if we're gonna be honest, I was pulled off the scrap heap to some degree. Uh, when I got hired here at Summit Church, I had been fired from my last job. That's not exactly like top of the list kind of people you're looking for. Um, but the board was willing to overlook some things and go, all right, there's some things we don't love, but we see potential here. And that's what happens when I go to a scrapyard. I'm looking around, I'm going, hey, this part might not be perfect. It's got some, some dirt on it. It's, got, it's maybe not ideal condition, but man, this will work. This will clean up nicely. I see the potential in this. And so it's important as a leader to be able to look beyond the surface and see potential in people that sometimes they don't even see in themselves. And when you do, um, it can be a boon for your organization, for your department, whatever it might be. One of the things I got <clears throat> from the scrapyard a while back was a um, thermostat housing for my Jeep. This is not the one I got. The one I got, uh, it was in rough shape. And the thing is, I'm such a cheapskate. These things cost pff, 10 bucks on the cheap end, 60 bucks on the expensive end, okay? So not that much money. They're not that expensive to get, but I saw one and I pulled it and I cleaned it up and then I took it and had it powder coated because I'm a nerd. It cost more to powder coat it than it would have for me to buy it new. So I had it powder coated to put it in my Jeep. And so I had this big project going on and I put it in and I had leaks. I had coolant shooting out 
and I could not figure out where it was coming out from. Come to find out, my thermostat housing was cracked. It was broken when I got it. I powder coated a broken part, put it in the Jeep. So my next point to you is this. Number four, being cheap can be very, very expensive. Um, I decided to be cheap. I decided to get a cheap part and it was expensive for me because I had done a project and I didn't know where it was leaking from because I'd replaced so many components at one time. And so I had to take everything back apart and fish it out and try to figure it out. And if I would have just spent the money in the first place, I wouldn't have had the problem. And you're like, Mel, doesn't that contradict what you just said about, yes, it does, but that's okay. Um, You've got to be You've got to use discernment when to go a little more inexpensive and when you should just spend the money. Um, because there's times that all of us, especially with our economy like it is, you go, I don't want to spend money. I don't want to, we're tightening the budget. But there are some things if you don't spend the money on, it's going to cost you more in the end. It's better to spend the money. It's better to get it right the first time. And I would have been better getting my thermostat housing right the first time. I actually bought another one. I'm going to do, get this one powder coated again and then we'll be like it should have been in the first place. Um, Here's one of the things, if you pay the least, then you may not get the people's best and you may not get the best people. Um, We as a church are not at the top of the pay scale. We're not at the bottom of the pay scale. We're kind of in the middle um, of a church's our size with our demographic, with our level of income. Um, but one of the things we try to do well is take care of our team beyond the pay. And so uh, we can't pay the best, but we can do other things that really take care of our team. And so because of that, we don't have to overpay. But um, I I had a pastor one time that used to say, if you pay peanuts, don't be surprised when all you get is monkeys working for you. And so you've got to understand if you are paying at the bottom of the range, then you are going to get exactly what you've paid for. Um, And I would rather take care of people, do things the right way and cut corners and other places that aren't going to kill you, aren't going to hurt you in the long run. So being cheap can ultimately be very expensive. Number five, I mentioned this, but I'll throw this in here as well. Try to limit changes to one component at a time. My problem when I changed a whole bunch of the components at once, I was like, oh, I'll knock all these out at once because I started going, well, I need to change this. Well, if I'm going to change that, I might as well change this. Well, I'm going to do that. I might as well do this. And before I know it, I had five different projects that I'd rolled into one. And it was great because I got it done and it looked awesome until I started the engine. And then I had coolant flying everywhere and I didn't know where the coolant was coming from. And then I had to take things back apart to figure it out. Um, and if I would have changed one component at a time, tested it, it would have been easier to figure out, oh, I've got a cracked housing on my thermostat housing here. I've got an issue. And the same thing is true in organizations. When we make sweeping changes, and if you're a leader, you like making big changes. I do. I like seeing lots of things happen. I like seeing the progress. But the problem is when we make a lot of changes all at once and there's not the progress we want, it's hard to figure out sometimes where is this broken? Okay, is there a system? Is there a person? What is happening within this to keep us from being as successful as we want to be? And so we are better off sometimes saying, hey, we're going to make all these changes, but let's take these in phases so we can see, oh, there's a problem here. We need to work this out instead of just going, here's all the stuff. Uh Oh, something's broken. Now we've got to start taking stuff apart to figure this out. Um, So try to be careful how you're implementing your changes and be mindful of where the pinch points are. Sixth thing is this, YouTube is your friend. Um, 
and the application for this is sometimes, um, I mean, really every answer you want for your vehicle is probably on YouTube somewhere. I, I, I YouTube all this stuff and I go, oh, that's how you do, oh. Cause there's sometimes there's clips and it's like, you gotta get under and around and squeeze the clip. But it's like, I can't even see the clip. How do I get this? And so I have to YouTube it. I'm like, oh, that's how you do that, right? But YouTube's your friend. Problem is we don't wanna do that cause we don't wanna look stupid or incompetent. Somehow we think people know things about cars just inherently, like we're born with car knowledge that um, ever, some people are born with it and I don't wanna be the only fool that's using YouTube. They're all using YouTube, okay? Don't be proud, just do that. And here's the value of that. Um, you gotta try new things. You, you gotta take some risks and go, okay, I don't know anything about this, but I'm gonna take a step out and find something out. And the best leaders are the ones that are curious, the ones that are gonna say, I'm not sure how to do this. I'm not sure if this is gonna work out, but I'm gonna try it. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ask people, I'm gonna investigate, I'm gonna figure out how to make this happen. And I'm gonna be curious about it. And <clears throat> pride is the enemy of good leadership because what happens is our pride will say, well, what if you fail? What if it doesn't work? What if you implement this and it falls on its face? And as a result, sometimes we just don't change. And we go, well, I'd, I'd rather not change and then I'm, I'm safe, my pride is safe, I'm intact than trying something that fails. But I'm telling you, it is better to try things and take some risks and be curious um, and YouTube is your friend. So that's number six. Number seven, uh, the right tool makes the job very easy. Um, I, don't, <clears throat> I don't have all the right tools. There's so many specialty tools working on vehicles. And I've used that as an excuse to buy tools. I'm like, babe, I gotta have this tool. I have to. It's like, all right. So I've got all these tools now and they do make the job easier. Cause there's times there's a job that should be a 20 minute job that turns into a four hour job because you just don't have the right tools. And it's important to have the right tools in place. And the same thing is true in your organization. Uh, the right person in the right place can make all the difference in the world. Um, and it's quicker for you and for your organization just to have the right people in the right place. It, it clogs up all the works whenever we have put the the right people in the wrong spots. So in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, he talks about the bus. He talks about getting the people in the right seat on the bus. And this is kind of the equivalent of that. Um, having the right people in the right place will make your job easier. And that's why it's so important, not just for their sake, that they're functioning at their best capacity, but, but also for your sake as the leader, you're seeing things progress and move forward and in the right pace because you've got the right people in the right place, the right tools doing the right jobs. Number eight, um, organization promotes efficiency. Um, probably four or five weeks ago, my wife pulled into the garage and she's like, what is going on in this garage? And, and I had been working on stuff and I would just pile stuff. And you guys know what I'm talking about, where it's like, I'm not gonna take the time to put this away right now. I'm just gonna, I'll just put it right here. I'll just put this right here. I'll just put this right here. Before you know it, it's like, oh, this is a mess. And the my wife had said that, but I was feeling it because when I was working on stuff, I didn't know where anything was. And so I was having to dig through, and I was looking, where was that? Put it in here, where's this at? And what I've realized is if I know where my tools are, I'm gonna be able to work more efficiently. And if I know what tools I own, I'm gonna be more efficient. Because sometimes um, I would forget that I even had the right tool. Uh, when we, my father-in-law passed away, um, in Texas, we went down and spent time helping clean out the house and you know work through stuff. 
And I kept finding multiple tools. I'd be like, why did he have four of these? And so I would organize them, keep them all together. And because my mother-in-law, Jane, was doing an estate sale. And so I just asked her, I was like, why did he have six power drills? And why did he have, uh, he had like eight high lift jacks. Like, why did he have all these? And she said, he forgot he had them and he would go buy another one. Like, what? Yeah, he would have it stored somewhere and forget he had it and he'd just go buy another one. Be like, what in the world? But that's what happens when you are not terribly organized. And this is the same thing that happens for us. If we are disorganized in the way we're functioning as leaders, we forget what we have. We forget who we have on our team. We forget what their strengths are, their abilities are. And as a result, we're, we're duplicating work. We're, we're assigning things to people that we shouldn't have assigned them to because we forget what we have at our fingertips. We forget the tools that we have in our tool belt. And it's important for us to be organized. And some of us as leaders, um, I know a lot of leaders that'll say things like, well, administration's not my gift or organization's not really my gift. I'm a high level leader. But administration and organization is just a discipline we have to lean into at times as leaders that we have to say, hey, there's things I've got to do. And part of that is understanding who do I have on my team? What are their gifts? What are their abilities? And I'm going to keep track of this so we can utilize them at the right place at the right time. So organization promotes efficiency. <laughs> the ninth, ninth thing is this, patience is better than force. Um, there's been a couple times uh, I should have been patient instead of forceful with things that I was working on. I broke a, uh, a pulley on my power steering pump um, because I just got tired of cranking on it. I decided I can force this off, it'll be just fine. And it was not just fine. I had to buy a new pulley for it because I didn't understand this principle. Patience is better than force. And a lot of times as leaders, we want to see change. We want to force change. And there are people in our organization that maybe aren't willing to change as quickly as we are. Um, uh, I actually read uh, today that leadership is, is actually just the art of getting people to change at a rate that they're comfortable with. And so I have to be patient enough as a leader to help lead people through change at a pace that's not going to break them. Um, that I have to resist the urge to force change because I'm the boss, I'm the leader, you gotta listen to me and do what I say. It's important for me to understand that patience is better than force. And number 10 is this, um, <laughs> know when to call an expert. Um, there are times that I have to call in an expert. Um, thankfully, I haven't had that with my Jeep because my Jeep is not that expensive and I can let it sit for a little bit. But there are probably some jobs that I would get to and go, okay, this is beyond my capacity. I need some help on this. Um, and it's important for us as leaders to be able to go, this might be on my capacity a little bit. I, I might need some help with this. I'm not sure I can navigate this. I'm not sure what to do next. And to call in somebody who has been there, who can do it. Like I said earlier, I will call on guys like Jim Hennessy or John Nuzzo in my life because those are guys that have been there and they have the experience. And I'll say, I don't have any clue what I'm doing. Can you help me with this? Can you take a look at this? Hey, I'm, I'm dealing with this with a staff member. I'm dealing with this with a, you know, a situation in our church and let them speak into it because they're experts. They have more experience than I have. And so I, I will allow them or invite them or beg them to speak into some of those things. And it's important for us to know as leaders, what are our limitations? What are, gonna, what are the things that are gonna keep us from moving forward? 
and allow somebody else to speak into those things. And to be quite frank with you too, sometimes you don't need to call an expert. Sometimes you just need to walk away from things for a little bit and clear your head. It's amazing when I've been frustrated with something um, covered in oil or grease. It's amazing when I walk away and just go wash my hands and sit in the house for just a little bit and come back out with a clear head, how things just make more sense. And so understanding when to walk away, understanding when to call an expert, those things are really, really important. All right, there you go. Lessons from a rust bucket. Um, Thoughts, questions, feedback, Blairsville online here in the room. And this, tonight's lesson was really more for me than it was for anybody else. So if you didn't like it, that's okay. I'll do one you like next month. (laughs) This month I did one for me, so. Questions? You talked a little bit about the value of acquiring people and or things at a discounted rate. (laughs) And so I want to know what are some incentives that you use to keep your employees happy at the middle of the pay scale? Like you said that you take care of them in other ways. What are some of those ways? Um, high levels of trust. So we give them tons of flexibility within their work schedule for the most part. Um, I'm a lot more concerned about their, their, uh, what their responsibility is, what their responsibilities are. So I'm, I'm more concerned with their responsibilities than I am their hours. And so, because people can fake their hours, but they can't fake their responsibility. If um, Gil's not doing his job, we're going to see it. Um, whether he's in the office 12 hours a day or not. And so I'm a lot more concerned about that. So that gives a level of autonomy to our staff. Um, We try to do things like, you know, uh, extra time off, like between Christmas and New Year's. So uh, even looking ahead at next Christmas schedule, we were at staff retreat this last week. And so we did that together and I'm giving them more time than we normally would even. And that doesn't count against their PTO. So we just look out for our team. Um, if we know somebody's going through something personally, you know, we take care of their counseling for them, give them some time off, whatever they need to make sure that they are well cared for. And I don't think that's something just churches should do. I think any organization can say, Hey, we want to take care of our people. We want to look out for you. You're not just a cog in the wheel. You're not just a, a number employee number 72. That's not who you are. We care about you as a person. So I think that goes a really long way with our team as well. Is it uh, just a quick follow-up on that? Yeah. Um, for companies that are trying to navigate a recession, is it hard or even possible for them to reverse, to reverse install those things into their organization? So, like, say they're paying at the upper end of the pay scale, and they want <laughs> you to. You can. It's not going to be very popular. But yeah. yeah, there are things you could do. Um, one of the things we've talked to, and not just in an economy like this, but like we've talked to churches that are trying to figure out, Hey, we've done, this is what we've done every year for our staff, you know, as recurring raises. And so in the last few years during, uh, the non-recession recession, we've been going through it. Um, one of the things we've talked about is, Hey, do bonuses that aren't recurring. Cause if you give a raise a 4% raise, then it's stacking every year. But if you do a bonus for somebody one year where you go, hey, this year we're gonna pay for a gym membership for you and your family because we know that's something you, that, you've, that you really value. So this year we're gonna do this for you. That's not stacking year over year. So that's something you can do that you're not 
paying for forever. I sound like a cheapskate when I say that, but it's a way that you can take care of your people, but it's not, there's not an ongoing cost that you're, that you're working off of. Um, so there's a lot of things like that you could do, just a one-time bonus even, just to say, hey, here's a performance bonus. We're not giving cost of living increases, but we are gonna give a performance bonus. Here's a performance bonus this year. So there's a lot of things like that you can do that if you've been stuck trying to keep up with inflation and you can't, then you can make some adjustments like that. How do you like get your staff to accept change and embrace it? Um, how do you get the staff to accept change and embrace it? Well, part of it is for me understanding where the tension is going to be with the staff. And our staff is small enough. I mean, I don't know, 20 for staff, something like that. So when I think about changes that are being implemented or things that we're announcing or rolling out, I can probably tell you like, oh, hey, we're starting a new location in Johnstown. We're going to need kids ministry. Christine is going to feel pressure on that. Um, Todd is going to feel pressure on that with worship. You know, so I need to talk to them and work through the their fear with them. Hey, let's talk about this. We're, we're rolling this out. Can we talk about this together? Because some of our staff don't care at all. They don't care if we have a hundred campuses. It's not going to change their job. But there's a few that I know, hey, this change will impact them greatly. Let's talk about this so that I can say, hey, I'm going to help you. Hey, here's some practical things we can do to help alleviate you know, the tension you're feeling. And so I think that's something you have to do is just think about who are the people this is going to impact the, the most and how can I help them navigate that tension in a way that makes them feel better about it. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. We experienced some things like that at work. And if like we had a manager just rolling things out, mm -hmm. announcing it to the whole staff yeah, and we were just like this. Ugh. Yeah. And then whenever you know, we talked about it, he brought in certain people, like you said, mm -hmm. much smoother transition than just rolling out to the, collective group yeah it was just the much to your point much different well and a lot leaders think we do change better than we actually do all of us all of us don't well let me say it this way none of us lead change as well as we think we do and because most of us what we do is we announce change but we don't lead through change and so leading through change looks very different than getting up and making an announcement and going hey we're changing shifts this next month and this is the way it's going to happen. Or, hey, we're freezing wages at the current level or that's an announcement. You know, you're announcing change, but leading change is going to the people and going, hey, can we talk about this together? And let me, let me tell you the vision behind this. Let me tell you the why behind this. Here's why this is important. And, um, and I think that's a lot different and that's a lot harder, um, but it's leading from not a position, but from... Uh, it's, it's not positional leadership or authority, but it's relational leadership and authority, and I think that's way more effective. Yeah, good question. Thank you. Yeah, good question. Anyone else? Did I find a mentor? <laughs> um, yeah. No, you know what? Uh, there's some YouTube channels. YouTube is my friend. There's some YouTube channels that I go to for all of it. There's a, a, I don't know how old the kid is. He's probably 24 that he has a YouTube channel called Out Jeeping. 
Hey, I'm Austin from Out Jeeping. I feel like Austin's my best friend because I've watched so many of his videos now. And so uh, Austin from Out Jeeping, that guy's my go-to probably. So he's my Jeep mentor. So yeah, sorry, I couldn't answer it better than that. Ronnie, I'm sorry. It is. You get into working on, in your case, you're rehabbing a Jeep, but mm -hmm. where you see guys that are, like I'm a Ford Bronco guy, mm -hmm. a little biased on the other side, even though I drive a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Um, but on that side, it's like these guys end up building fraternities mm -hmm. where they're bouncing oh, yeah. questions off of because yeah. somebody has done the hard thing and said, this is the wrong way to do it, this mm -hmm. is the right way. Or they have the tools, yeah. end up borrowing them and swapping and stuff like that. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing is there are so many forums. for the, My model is an XJ, so it's a Jeep Cherokee XJ. And there are so many XJ forums out there because the vehicle, there were 3 million produced in the United States between 1984 and 2001. And so they were everywhere. They were ubiquitous. And so they're sitting in scrapyards and people's barns. And so many people can have worked on them cheap that there are years of information on websites and things like that. And so it really is just a matter of tapping into that and looking and getting on the forums and talking to people like you're talking about. And you're, you're exactly right. Leadership is the same way. There's so many things we could learn and glean if we just ask people or go, I got no clue what I'm doing here. What have you done in this situation? So, yeah. Yeah, I find the same thing in business, you know, uh, working with some people out in Ohio right now and we're, the new venture, and I'm implementing some pretty unique test stuff that we're buying off a company. But that company, the CTO, is a pretty good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. But I look up to him as this power electronics engineer, and he's someone that I can go to and say, hey, what, what happens in this scenario? How is this yeah. going to happen? Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, in business, having exposure to who knows what, Mm -hmm. who can help you through it will lead to the problem being solved a lot sooner than later. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's amazing how just asking a question will fix the problem so much quicker um, than me just trying to figure it out on my own and me trying to just brute force it. Um, you know what's ironic in my family? You think that that's a male thing to do, that just, I've got it, I'll figure it out. Uh, but in my family, my wife refuses to ask directions. But if, if I'm lost, I'm going to stop immediately and be like, hey, I don't know where I'm going. Can you tell me where I'm going? If I'm in a, the grocery store and I don't know where an item is, I'm going to stop immediately and go, can you tell me where? But my wife is like, no, 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 we'll find it. We'll find it. So we, we've got like role reversals, but I'm like, no, let's ask immediately. Why would I waste my time walking around if somebody can tell me where it's at? But yeah, it's the same principle at work there. In most organizations, what is the optimal balance of generalists to specialists and who should be paid more? What's the optimum balance? I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's probably too broad a question. What's the optimum balance? I think it depends on the organization. It depends on what you're trying to get done and get, get accomplished. I think if you are too heavy one way or the other, though, you're going to be in trouble. I think you've got to have the right balance. I think every organization is going to be a little different, though. I was talking to a church last night that uh, talking to a board of a smaller church and they said something about 
that same idea. Well, we're all generalists. We all have to know a little bit about everything. And it's not like you guys where you can all be specialists. And that was literally the language. I just laughed. I was like, that is not the case. Um, we are still spe- generalists. Like uh, most of us are not specialists at our jobs. Most of us are doing multiple things. So I think it depends on your organization, depends on what you're trying to get done, depends on the industry probably even. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. Because I, I can't imagine NASA. I don't have a lot of experience there, but I can't imagine they're just wearing multiple hats you know, in different departments. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, yeah. so I'm not sure. I think that you should have more specialists than generalists, and I invite pushback from uh, the room on this. Uh, and I think that generalists make better leaders. And, and so I, I think that if your generalists are in your managerial positions and your specialists are working for them, I think that's a better balance than the okay. reverse. Am I a generalist in your definition? Yeah, I think so. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think so because I think that you you have a, in your context, you have a pretty good purchase on what a church should look like as it's operating in a healthy way. Um, but if I asked you to take over the production for the weekend, I don't think that you would enjoy that very much because that's I would not enjoy that very much. But you know enough to know what it would look like if the production was failing. Okay. And, and I think that that is true of the, all the different departments. And so I would say that a, a narrow specialist, and this leads to a, another question, which I want to check online before yeah, I we're, take up. Well, we probably need to kick it back to Blairsville at this time. So while Michael's doing that, I'm going to turn it back over to Blairsville so you guys can close out your time together, do some Q&A there in the room. Love you guys. Thanks for joining us. And I uh, look forward to seeing you next month for Leadership Night. Get him, Mike. But if you have too many specialists, all right, if you have, and you lose too many specialists in one department, it leaves you vulnerable. Where if you have individuals that can do X, Y, and Z all, then you're more rounded as a company. You are right, general people that can relate and do most aspects of the company. It doesn't mean they're going to do every aspect. They have, they have people that work with them within their circle that support them. And, but it doesn't mean they can't do it. But if, like I have guys that run pump trucks. Right? That's their specialty. Um, if I lose all my pump truck drivers, that leaves me very vulnerable. And if I don't have supervisors that can also run pump trucks, and I'm shutting down work. That's why I think generalist is someone that can cover. And honestly, Mel, I, I think we just went through this a couple months ago here. Mm-hmm. If I'm wrong, you know, you can <laughs> tell me, but someone left, mm-hmm. and you have an individual that's able to be rounded and step up and yeah. take care of that. Yeah. Yeah, and I really do think it depends on the organization and the industry and not trying to put anybody on the spot. Okay. So Shauna, you've got specialists and you've got generalists, right? And they're called different things with your organization, but you can't have all utility players on your squad. You've got to have some people 
who know how to pitch. And you can't just have righties. You probably need a couple lefties too, am I right? But that looks different than it does in other organizations. So that's where I'm like, I don't know. Do you have a thought on, on the makeup of a team or specialists or generalists or anything like that? I'm just totally putting you on the spot now. I'm sorry. It's what you get for coming to leadership night. I'm sorry. No, I mean, our team is very much filled with, we do have our specialists. We have mm -hmm. our pitchers. We have catchers. Last year, for instance, we didn't have catching. So a generalist had to step up but our team wasn't as strong as yeah. being able to have someone who's a very, very good at that position. Yeah. Um, but you have some that can kind of go back and forth that can fill in gaps, but we need more specialists. Then. Yeah. Yeah. And I really do think every organization is going to be different. Um, and you know, if you're got a warehouse, you could probably have a bunch of generalists, but you need some specialists to know how to run the systems or how to do, you know. So again, I don't think there's a, an ironclad rule of thumb on that. I think it depends on your situation more than anything else. So yeah. What else? So this might be hard to answer, but you talked about your hiring, like techniques of, you know, looking for talent and stuff. <laughs> yeah just curious do you have a set of like roles or standards that you follow when hiring like is there top three qualities you look for it seems like you have a very diverse group of pastures of all mm -hmm. different walks of life and just kind of curious what I guess you look for when hiring um yeah it's probably been a while since we've done a leadership night on on that topic but Typically, I'm, I'm going to look for uh, people with high character. And so in our context, obviously, it's I, I want somebody who loves Jesus a lot. Um, they have a high affection for Christ. Um, I, I like people who have a good sense of humor, because if they've got a good sense of humor, that shows me that they're creative. It shows me that they are flexible. Um, so that's helpful. I want people who are have a good track record. They don't have, a, have to have a perfect track record, but... I want somebody who's built something at some point because the best indicator of future performance is probably past performance. So if they've built something, then they'll be able to build something else. Um, and I don't, usually if I'm hiring for a position, I'm less concerned about, can they do this job perfectly right now than I am? Are they a good cultural fit with our team, with our people, with our community? And because we can teach skills, but we can't teach heart and character. So that's for us, number one. And I could make a pretty strong case that no matter what your industry is, that should be number one, too. Um, because somebody might have the right skills, whether no matter what kind of uh, job they have. But if their character's not good, they're not going to be in that job for a long time, probably. So that's kind of in a nutshell how I would do it. Yeah, good question. Any other thoughts or questions? When leaders are delegating administrative duties, do you recommend that they should retain a minimum amount of those duties for themselves or should they try to give all of it away? Oh, I don't know. Does anybody have any thoughts on that? I have some thoughts, but. So say that again, Mike. If you delegate the whole task, it's not a bad thing as long as you know how to do it and can step in to do it. Yeah. As long as you can fill those shoes. Um, 
if you always hold a part of everything you delegate, your plate's still going to be, at times, could be too full. And if you ask someone to do a task, you should let them complete the task without taking over some of it, in my opinion. Yeah, I think administrative is such a broad word, but uh, there are a lot of things that like within our organization, I have no idea about. I have no clue what's going on. And some people would look at that as a weakness, um, but I think if I did know what was going on, that would be a weakness. If I had to know everything that was going on in an organization, it would stifle growth and development and forward motion. So for me, I think I'm better when I'm releasing stuff than I am when I'm holding on to stuff. The one exception, and I, I might have mentioned this before, uh, we we had... Uh, I had fully de delegated all of our financial stuff off of my plate, and uh, that was a mistake as an organization. So I spun the wheel the opposite direction. Now I've got my hands on the finances. Like I know the money. I know how we're doing. I know the money's in the bank account, what we're spending, all that stuff. So that's the one area I probably micromanage in our church. Other than that, I pretty well delegate and release and I think I'm, I'm better for it and probably the organization is better for it. So, yeah, Linda. This might, too, this might not be a good question to ask, but I'll it's okay. throw it out. Why was it um, not a good idea to delegate it all out? For, for us and for me personally, it was because it wasn't managed the way I would have wanted it to be managed. And so there was some decisions made that were, in my opinion, poor choices. And... Um, so I, I needed, I needed my hand on the wheel to make sure like, oh no, we're managing our funds the, the way I would like us to manage them where we have margin and we're doing, you know, we're making these decisions and the, the, the person at the time who was overseeing that just didn't have the same values I did. I thought we did. And I made the mistake of delegating without investigating, you know, it was like, oh, it's great. It'll be fine. And Eight months later, it was like, oh, this isn't fine. Like, I, we need to fix some stuff now. We got to undo some stuff. And so, yeah. So that's where, um, for us, for me personally, and for where our organization was, it was it was a mistake. And it wasn't his mistake. It was my mistake. Um, so, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, so it's not necessarily Yeah, that's not a principle necessarily. That's specifically for us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, good question. What else? So you mentioned how you value creativity and people who you might be hiring. Uh, when it comes to watching leaders who are ahead of you, how do you resist the temptation of mere imitation? <laughs> For a long time, that's what I did. Um, I think when I was a, l a less mature leader, that's what I would do, especially when it came to like public speaking, things like that. Um, and I would mimic, uh, not intentionally even, but I would listen to like a certain preacher so much. There was a guy named Matt Chandler. He was a pastor in, um, in Dallas, Texas. And I listened to him a lot. And my wife told me one day, she was, said, babe, you got to start listening to some other preachers. And I said, why? And she said, because you're doing like his hand motions and you're using some of his language. Like, I, you know, it was just coming out of me because it was getting in me. And I wasn't imitating it on purpose, but... Um, but 
my own voice wasn't coming out as much, if that makes sense. So uh, I think it's easy to do, especially when you're a younger leader, to just go, I don't know who I am, but that guy looks good. I'm going to be like that. Or this person's doing a good job. I'm just going to do what they're doing. And I think as you get a little older, it's easier to kind of find your own way and find your own voice and figure out who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to lead. But I think it's a real danger, especially when you're younger. Good question. Don't know if that answered your question or not, but that's a good one. someone working for you to come up and say, hey, I want to be recognized based on these efforts, like telling you, mm -hmm. or would you rather that person that you're kind of overseeing watch their actions and then recognize them yes. for what they're doing? Yes, number two. Number two. Um, and this might be a bad analogy. It feels a little bit, the first one feels a little bit like like when, um, when you're at a restaurant and they add gratuity on the, on the check, it's like, wait a second, you're, 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 demanding, you're demanding a tip. I would have tipped you more if you hadn't demanded it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like if you hadn't said, I deserve some credit, I probably would have given you more credit. I probably would have honored you in a greater way. But when you go, hey, I, I deserve, that's when I'm like, all right, well, you you got your reward right there. So uh, that's probably my approach. And I don't know if that's the healthiest, but that's, that's probably the way I would look at it. Because I want people on our team um, that are hungry but humble. Um, and so everybody likes to be acknowledged, um, but I want people on my team who don't need it. Uh, you know, who, who that's not what they're living for. Like, if I don't get this, I'm gonna shrivel up and die. And, and with that being said, we also try to do our best to look for those things too and say, hey, you're doing a good job or hey, I've seen you put in a lot of hours. Why don't you take an extra day off next week? Or, you know, we try to be proactive about that. But if somebody is asking for recognition, that's where I'm like, oh God, okay. I don't know if this sits right with me. Does that make sense? No, it does. I mean, I had a real life example happen recently yeah. in my life where in this new venture, Part of me wanting to say to the owner, like, mm -hmm. recognize what I'm doing here, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, I think when I was younger, I probably would have said that, right? Yeah. Um, but instead, I just sat back to and just plowed through mm -hmm. doing the things. And then finally, the guy, Jim, just goes, okay, uh, why are you holding back? And I was like, I'm not holding back. Yeah, you are. And I said, no, I'm not holding back. I'm contributing to the level that you want. And he's like, yeah, but you know a lot more than what you're telling people mm -hmm. and telling me. And I was like, well, um, I think I wanted it to come to the point that you recognize maybe. And then you asked me for that versus me demanding that from you. Yeah. And I think it was the right approach. And it, it feels a lot better that way versus yeah. when you're younger, you start doing a couple things and you see – people that are maybe inside an organization that are doing the same task as you. Yeah. And you get upset because you're like, wait, this guy's an advisory person. I'm doing the same level work. Mm -hmm. Compensate me for that or do that. Yeah. You know, and I think when we're younger, we don't realize that that same person probably paid their dues to get to mm -hmm. them, you know, and yeah, as a we leader, have... I think you just 
want to watch people grow. And then when they do do it and you see it, that's when you want to take that opportunity to recognize that person yeah. and propel them up. And I don't think, I wouldn't do this with every leader, but I, I, I think there's probably some leaders that would be okay with you saying, hey, I, I just want to tell you how I'm wired. Let me, I, want, I want you to know what motivates me. Because uh, some people are motivated by a kick in the rear and some people are motivated by a pat on the back. And, and so I just want you to know, here's what motivates me. Here's, you know, if you want top performance out of me, here's, here's what I respond to. And I think some leaders would be put off by that. I think some leaders would be totally cool with it. And I know like for me as a leader, I would rather somebody tell me that and be like, great. Okay, it takes the questions out of it. Now we know, let's go. Um, and so I think even that, I, I like that kind of approach with the right kind of leaders. Yeah, it will. It's not right for everybody. Wrong on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when I was working at the university, um, they built that into a performance appraisal system, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I really didn't like. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of the year, you'd come up with your objectives, what you wanted to accomplish. But then you had to kind of brag on mm -hmm. how well you did and what percentage you accomplished and in order to get the merit pay that in order for them to figure out what they wanted to, what kind of a raise they wanted to give. Yeah. And that always felt really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know that there were some people that were really dishonest. Um, <laughs> what? Because they knew To that get more money? Effective. That's shocking. I know. Really people is. would do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's fun too, evaluating yourself and having to, having to, justify why you should be making more money and oh that's yeah it's painful i think we got enough time maybe one more michael do you have anything else any other questions or thoughts guys well you mentioned uh, the value of your employees being hungry or being passionate mm -hmm. and so what are some things that you do to keep them hungry to keep them passionate <laughs> uh what are we well, i i think part of it is uh, organizationally that we have an ever-expanding vision that we're not uh, we're not stagnant, and so that helps kind of force some of that as well. Because if if departmentally the leaders aren't growing, they're going to get behind really quick. Because it's like, hey, we're starting a Johnstown location, and that's probably not the last location we're going to start. And Blairsville's developing, and someday they're going to be independent. And you know, so we've got all these moving parts and missions and different things that it's like if somebody on our team is stagnant they're going to fall behind pretty quickly. So I think part of that is motivation for our team to go, okay, I've got all these high performers. I've got all these people accomplishing. Let's go. Uh, so I think that's part of it. I don't, think, I don't think we have to do anything manually very much to spur our team on. I think a lot of them are wired that way. Uh, and part of it is, I think part of it ties back to um, like our never ending vision of seeing people's lives changed, you know, like we're never going to run out of lost people in Indiana County. So there's always more work to do. You know, it's not like we've Alexander and we've conquered all the worlds, you know, it's like, okay, there's still more to do here. So I think part of those things help, help keep our team motivated. That's a good question. Okay. Why don't we wrap up for the night? I'd love for you guys to have conversations with each other. If you have thoughts or feedback or anything like that, make sure you're connecting with somebody, but let me pray over you and we'll close out for the night. 
God, thanks so much for the leaders in this room. I just pray a blessing on them as they're endeavoring to lead well, uh, no matter what their organization is, what their group is, whether it's a family, um, a department, a team, an organization, a, a company. I pray that you would help us lead better and I pray that you'd be glorified through it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Guys, thanks so much. We will have leadership night the first Wednesday night of January. So join us for that. Mark your calendars, but uh, I'll see you then. God bless you guys. Thank you. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.